Aren't you glad you're here today? It's a blessing, blessing for you to be here. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with us again to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We love and we trust God's Word. I love to read Scripture. I love to hear Scripture read. You love to hear Scripture read because we love and trust we love and trust God's Word. Having said that, I, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll be picking up at verse 7 or 8 in just a moment. This is kind of a last minute thing. I was looking through one of my files and found this little statement. I can't remember when I used it that I wrote up about uh, the authority of God's Word and the importance of God's Word. And certainly I couldn't remember it verbatim, so I'm going to read it to you this morning because we are looking at God's Word and we're trusting God's Word. Um, at the top, it, it just says, um, obviously it was a pass out because I have at the top of mine, it says pass this out. So at some meeting I had, I passed it out. And they're available, I can get you a copy if you want to or send you one. So it says, Holy Scriptures, inspired without error and authoritative. And it's, I want you to think now, this is God speaking. When God's Word is read... This is, it's as if Christ is in the room speaking, right? Uh, we believe that. And, and, and it has the authority as if Christ was in here speaking the words. That's what we believe about it. But this is what I wrote. When Christians are serious about not being ashamed of their faith, it is also a confession of their submission to the truth of the Bible. Folks, the, the Bible flies in the face of culture. You know that. And it, it doesn't get better. It gets worse every, every year, every day. The Bible is God's breathed out word. That's the, it's really not the word inspired as much as it's exhale. He, he breathed, he pushed it through men. Against which all the gates of hell cannot prevail. For believers to faithfully walk worthy of Jesus Christ requires serious study and application of divine truth. And you know God's Word. When you know God's Word in, in your life, I mean, it, it's a sharp two-edged sword, okay? The Holy Scriptures remain... Let me say this again. The, the Holy Scriptures remain the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge of our faith and our acts of obedience. It's the rule. A word that Paul uses in the book of Galatians and you hear often in theology is the word canon. The canon of Scripture. That's the word for a measuring rod or rule. The, the Bible is our canon. It's our measuring rod for everything we believe, for our faith, for our practice for how, how we live. For all who profess, I'm sorry, though the, through the work, though the, I'm sorry, the Holy Scriptures remain, I started to preach there and got messed up. The Holy Scriptures remain the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Though the works, though the works of creation and, and the gracious providence of nature testify of God's greatness, 
Therefore they leave all men without excuse. But that light cannot save. What I'm saying is, creation, Romans 1 tells us, creation, the beauty of creation, the diversity and yet unity of creation proves there's a God. But just knowing there's a God doesn't save you. Salvation comes by faith in Christ and Christ alone, right? Right? And what do you have to hear? You have to hear the gospel. You have to hear the gospel preached or shared to be saved. For all who profess Jesus as Lord are called to show the reality of their love for Christ by humble obedience to His written Word. To stray from Scripture in faith or in conduct is disloyalty to the Master. Read that again. To stray from Scripture in faith or in conduct is disloyalty to the Master. It is in Scripture that the Lord reveals Himself as King, as Lord, as Judge, and as Redeemer. The Bible is God's witness about Himself. And faith comes by hearing His truth. Romans 10.17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. But that's present tense. So that's true right now, but it's true tomorrow. It's true. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Our faith grows by God's Word. The Bible is God's revelation written by men, prepared and superintended by God's Holy Spirit. As the divine author, the Holy Spirit authenticates to us the authority of Scripture through an inward witness to the mind and heart of all who know Jesus. That's why when you read Scripture as a believer, it cuts that two-edged sword. It can cut both ways. And also that's, by the way, when you and I are not living right, We certainly don't want to read Scripture that relates to that, do we? Because it cuts both ways. Given to us by God, Scripture is without error or fault in all of its teachings. Whether creation or history or science, God's truth is trustworthy. There's never been an archaeological find that has ever disproved uh, any truth in the Bible. If the Bible says it, it's true whether man believes it or not. Romans 3 says, let God be true and every man's a liar. So if man conflicts with God, God's not wrong, man's not. Man's wrong, right? You believe that? It's what we believe. And listen, if you say, well, how do you know that's true? Well, I'll tell you how I know it's true. Because, because Jesus said and did it. everything he said he would do, he did. And I've met him. And I know he's alive. And if he, he, if he can conquer death and hell and the grave and save me from my sins and save you from your sins, then I know everything he says is true. Therefore, if one limits, changes, or disregards the Scriptures, they suffer serious loss, both as an individual, but also within the church. We believe in God's Word. Amen? We, we really do. Amen? We do. And I, I put at the bottom, I added this, John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I think about those of us that claim to know Jesus. Do our lives demonstrate that light? We'll have the light of life. And then John 1, 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. I'm in 
1 Timothy chapter 2. And if you don't mind, I want to put it in context, so I'm going to pick up at verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and Robbie used the word, mentioned it while he was praying. Last week we looked at Christ as the mediator. And if you remember, we had the little insert. And we don't have an insert today, I'm sorry. But I'm sure all of you are going to look at the, take the back side of your insert and take notes. I know all of you are going to do that. But uh, I'm beginning at, so we looked at mediator last week, which is incredible that Jesus mediated between God and man as the God-man. Chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Great doctrine of prayer there. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. He says the same thing to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 4, that same phrase is used. Uh, that we may live at peace, you know, in a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way. And if you'll remember, I mentioned dignified, that obviously godliness, by the way, in 1 Timothy, the word godliness is used more than any other New Testament book. That's interesting. That we may live a godly life, but dignified in every way. And that word is talking about publicly. You know, not that you wear expensive clothing and you look good or you sound good, but that your life, your public display of your faith is genuine. It's the real deal that you're dignified in, in every way that you live. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved. John 3.16 tells us that and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, monotheism. I mean, the Jews... They don't know, they don't believe Christ was the Messiah. A lot of them don't. By the way, the Jews for Jesus will be here next month um, on Thursday, the 21st. It's going to be a great, we're going to be in here and they'll be doing the Passover up here and teaching us how Christ is in the Passover. That's uh, Thursday night, March the 21st. I believe it's at 6.30. I do hope you'll plan, plan to be here. Uh, he desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. That's what we dealt on last week. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom. Uh, Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Uh, the ransom is what was paid what was paid, the price that was paid for you. The, the Bible says the wages of sin is what? What did Jesus do? Died. By the way, did Jesus stay dead? No. Right. He was resurrected from the dead, so when I know Him, I get everything He did, so one day I'm going to be resurrected. I believe that, and I pray that you do too. Who gave Himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. You know, it's interesting, and this is not the message this morning, but uh, if you took the time to study Ephesians 4, and, 
in the role of a pastor, teacher, elder, whatever you want to say, that, you know, pastors are gifted. You know, they're, you say they're gifted to teach or preach or shepherd, whatever word you want to use. But there's something a little bit different about the giftedness of a pastor or preacher, and that's that they're, they're, they're appointed by God in Christ and, and they're given to the church, you know. That's why when, when you go, when they sought me, you know, there's pastors out there, so you're without a pastor, so you go look for a pastor that God has gifted and equipped, and then you approach him and see if he wants to come here. So, there are, so just like Paul was appointed, pastors are saved, called, but appointed, and then the church calls them to their local assembly. Just an interesting truth there. I desire then that in every place that men should pray, lift in holy hands without anger or quarreling. And that has nothing to do with posture. It has everything to do with the quality of life, the character, the spiritual disciplines. So when you're, when you're kneeling down to pray and you're humbling yourself before the Lord, your life ought to match that submission, so to speak. So it's not about it's more spiritual to lift your hands when you pray. That has nothing to do with that. Um, likewise also, and this is where we pick up this morning. Uh, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, in modesty and self-control, not with braided hair, gold or pearls or costly attire. Now, it does not say that those things cannot be worn. It's saying that those things are not to be the primary clothing you want to put on. The greatest adornment is holiness. That's what Paul's telling ladies. The greatest adornment is not what's on the outside. Your adornment is what's on the inside. Now, let me give you one little context here, and we're going to look at a lot of that this morning. You had the goddess, it also was called the goddess of Diana, Diana, but also she was called Artemis. And you can read about that in, in Acts 19. And this is the event where folks start getting saved and they had all these trinkets, uh, these necklaces, whatever, trinkets, silver trinket, trinkets that they would buy in acts of submission and worship to a multi-breasted fertility goddess, okay? And, and again, we won't go into all the things that were associated with the temple of Artemis, but it wasn't good. So in the culture of Ephesus, and that's exactly, you know, Timothy's at Ephesus. Paul left him there probably just two or three months earlier than when he, when, than when he wrote 1 Timothy. You know, it's, he's, it's after his first imprisonment, He's going back, going back through some of these churches. He goes to Ephesus. He drops Timothy off and says, here's some things you need to do. And then he travels on over into Greece. And then he hears stuff that's going on at, at Ephesus. So that's when he sends 1 Timothy, the letter back to 1 Timothy. Remember, it's the church at Ephesus. And so if you read, don't do it now, but if you go over to Acts chapter 19, you can read some of the things that were going on. And I mean, when, when folks started getting saved, and burning all their worship trinkets to Artemis, I mean, there was a big blow-up over that. And all the craftsmen that were making the trinkets realized, hey, our income's going to be affected by this Jesus being preached that 
that Artemis is not a god. And so there was this big, you can read it for yourself, but it's, it's the culture that, that I want you to think about that when Paul was writing, so obviously one of the things he had heard or a messenger had brought to him was that there was something going on in church life about how women were dressing or approaching worship. And so he's going to deal with that here in, Second Tim, in 1 Timothy chapter 2. So he says women should, should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. So obviously, by the way, you can read Roman, uh, a lot of history. And um, a lot of times, and again, I, I'm, this stuff you read, it's not like I know this right off the top of my head. But one of the things that, that citizen, rich people did in, in the world, Rome, the kingdom of Rome, is when, they, when ladies wanted to uh, show off, so to speak, or, or dress to the nines, whatever word you want to say. Um, hold on just a second. I had to center my mat. Anyway, so um, a lot of times, if you're reading, they would, when they would adorn themselves, they would do it like all their pearls and gold. They would, they would adorn themselves where all of some of, you know, they would have all these things and they would put it on so everybody could see it. So I was reading one article that said that um, one dignitary's wife was in a public gathering and this Roman historian said that the value of the gold and stuff, she pearls, which was very valuable, even more than gold those days, was, you know, in his world was hundreds of thousands of dollars that she was wearing. Well, that's, that's what Artemis taught. There's an adornment that people would adorn themselves in their acts of worship. To our, so the culture, well, and is that not our culture today? Whatever the culture is. You know, I think about when you start reading this and thinking whether it's for men or women, you, you think about, um, and folks, you know this is true. You think about Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, only acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable form of worship. And then he says, and do not be conformed to this world. And it, that word means to be squeezed into the mold. So the world keeps telling me and you how we're supposed to dress, how we're supposed to talk, how we're supposed to set up our lives. And so... It says, do not be conformed. So, so it's real way saying, don't let the world put you in its mold. But let me tell you how you keep that from happening. He says, do not be conformed to this world. So we know that's true, but here's the answer to that. But be ye transformed, metamorphosed, by the renewing of your mind. It's, it's, a, it's a discipleship thing. It's a study thing. You have to know the Scriptures. You have to know the truth of God's Word. So do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it's one thing to say, man, that's not good. But it's another thing to know what the Scriptures say about how we should live. So Paul says, responding to the, the issues that he had heard about, he says, the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire but with what is proper for... And, and, and this can, you know, you know, right now, um, we, we, can, we can talk, we're, we're family. There have been times in this church 
that we've had to go to elder ladies, okay, and ask them to go approach a young girl, when I say young girl, 15, whatever, and tell that young girl her dress is not appropriate for corporate worship. That's what the Bible says. Because they, because they dress to attract, and I'm not going to go into all that, but men are visual, and so, yes, they would be the most popular girl at church, but for the very wrong reason. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you have to deal, that's just reality. You, you can't let those things. So, so that's, that's the issue that Paul was dealing with. That somehow he had heard that people were coming to worship adorned in the wrong way. You know, it, it became, so there's a group of ladies thinking that, hey, I'm going to adorn myself. And so others followed him. And so Paul was dealing with this. So he says, but only what verse 10 says, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Then he says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Now, again, you're probably talking about corporate gatherings of the church, corporate worship. And so, learn in silence. And he says, you're looking at your Bible. So, the, convent, the Southern Baptist Convention just dealt with this uh, last summer. Uh, you know, and I shared that with you. You know, I went and there's a church that, that wasn't going by this. And so, we removed him from the Southern Baptist Convention. So, he says, let a woman learn quietly with all submission. And then he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, if you want to go read, there's several passages in 1 Corinthians that remind us that a woman could pray out loud. A, a, a woman is obviously to teach. Elder women teach younger women. Women teach children. Women can testify. You can read that in 1 Corinthians. But when it comes to teaching the place of authority, just like there's not going to be one man of the house. And that's what Paul's argument is. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. So you have to believe either that's true or it's not true. Now, I'll tell you what the argument is. I mean, for, hundreds, for dozens of years, not hundreds, but for dozens of years, about, probably started in the 50s or 60s, people want to argue that this is cultural. Oh, that was Paul's attitude. And so... This is reflecting Paul's attitude. And, and so that was then. This is now. We live in a different time, in a different culture, so this can't apply. You ever heard that? This can apply to our day and time because we live, live 2,000 years removed from, from this passage, so it cannot be true. Well, oh, that sounds really sweet and compromising. But if you keep reading, that's thrown out the window, isn't it? Look at the next verse. Where does Paul take it to say, here's, here's the root of, of this issue? He goes all the way back to creation. So this, is, this isn't a cultural thing. This is a creation ordinance. I was at a... And again, I, I, we're not talking about just women preachers, but... Yesterday I was at a basketball game, um, yeah, for uh, Solomon's basketball game at uh, for, at Fraser, and I'm so grateful that churches like that that have those kind of facilities open them up to to groups. But it came the devotion time, 
And uh, they have devotions when you have these basketball games. And they had a... It was one thing to have a woman share a testimony, which was fine, but it was, she's a pastor from a Mount Zion... It, I forgot what church, AME church. And so they introduced her as Pastor Reverend something. And again, you know, Bonnie looks at me and, and you know, kind of smiles. And, and she said... So, and again, it's not that what the lady has to say is, was wrong. That wasn't it, but... But if I believe the Bible, and I believe it's a creation ordinance, that it's based on Adam being made first and Eve being the first to sin, then I have to believe God's Word is true. God's Word is true, and if man backs out of that, he's the one that's deceived or is lying, not God. So here's what, so obviously in church life, somehow or another, after Paul left and left Timothy there, the influence of Artemis, the influence of the culture, the influence of uh, false doctrine, because remember, he's, that's the very first thing he dealt with was false teachers in chapter 1. We're telling whoever it was that these things are okay, and it was infiltrating into corporate worship. So Paul, Paul has, has to deal with it. You know, one of my favorite, this is weird, what I think about sometimes, but I know you think I'm weird in general, but let's move on. I Thinking about a commercial I used to love when I was a little boy, and it had... It was a commercial that, that uh, was against smoking cigarettes. And, uh, of course, in the 60s, everybody smoked, but this was a commercial that said you shouldn't smoke. But anyway, it was about, uh, it says, like, the name of the commercial, you can go back and watch it. You know, this is way past many of it. This is in the 60s, okay? 60s. We did have running water, you know. It, and so, you know, it, it, was, it was tough. But we, so the commercial was a father, and it, said, it kept saying, like father, like son. And it had his dad scraping. He was like he was going to paint the side of his house. So he was scraping on a ladder. And the little boy was down below scraping. And it said, like father, like son. Then it showed his dad throwing a rock across the water. Like father, like son. So the little boy throws a rock. Uh, and a couple other little uh, vignettes of that. And then it showed him sitting down under a tree. And the guy takes a pack of camels. And just like you used to do when you smoked, you pop it and that one cigarette just pops out. You did it. I did it. We used to smoke Viceroy. That was the nastiest cigarette in the world. To be cool. There's nothing like doing this. So, when you're 13 out in the backyard doing this, like it means something. So, so, then he puts the cigarette to his mouth, and the little boy picks up that pack of cigarettes and turns them up and looks at them. And it ends by saying, like father, like son. And, of course, obviously, man. But here's, there's something far beyond that. Parent, child. Parent, child. Folks, we're not talking about smoking cigarettes. We're talking about eternal things. And your, your commitment to Christ as an adult, especially as a parent of children, is critical. Children... No hypocrisy. I also have this little cartoon in my office. That, uh, this little boy's coming in from church. I've shared this before. He's coming in from church. You can tell he's coming in from church because he's holding some, you know, it's this Sunday school lesson. He's holding a Sunday school lesson. And he's coming in and his dad's in the recliner, leaned back in his recliner and the newspaper's sitting in front of him. He says, hey, dad. 
Guess what I learned in church today, you hypocrite? <laughs> obviously, he had learned about hypocrisy, you hypocrite. Anyway, truth hurts. But so, obviously, Paul, so what, what's at stake? You know, think about what's at stake. Um, it's so much, it's just so much is at stake about how we live. So, so worship was being corrupted. And so Paul's challenging that. Um, obviously, weak male headship, there was a problem. That's why it was something was there was so everybody was involved. So let's keep reading. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Some of you don't really think about that. We think about that uh, theologically, and you realize that Adam became her redeemer. She sinned first, and Adam, rather than protecting her on the front end, he at least put himself where she was. He, he took of it and ate also. It was an act of this. But if you'll remember, which is interesting for men, and, and this is the context here as well, who was ultimately responsible for the worship of that church? Timothy was. In a home, who's ultimately responsible for the home? Who is it? It's the man. In our church, who's responsible? Well, I'll tell you who it is. It's me. It's our staff and it's our deacons. So if it stinks and one day we stand before the Lord Jesus, things this church didn't do right, we'll be held accountable for that before you will. Because it's, it's male headship. That's exactly what he's talking about. And so he's... So this, by the way, this letter is to Timothy... But this letter is going to be sent to the church that Timothy's pastoring to. So, so it's, you know, most of the New Testament writings wasn't to individuals. Most of them were to churches. This is for the church, for us to know this. For Adam was not uh, deceived, but, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Then he talks about, uh, I'll tell you what, t- Take your Bibles. Let's just do some cross-referencing. We've got a few minutes. Go back to Genesis 3. I, Robbie may have read this, but go to Genesis chapter 3 real quickly. And this is... Um, I mean, y'all know this to be true, but if we years ago, uh, time flies, and we've done several over the last 25 years. By the way, I, I've made some comments like, when I'm not here, you know, I'll say, when I'm not here, you get a preacher, you need to know... He, you need to know that he, it's not that I'm planning to go anywhere. It was just a statement. So people called my wife and said, where's Bryce going? I'm not going anywhere. So, um, but look at uh, chapter, chapter 3. And I want you to notice this is when God's responding to the sin of Adam and Eve. Look what, look what Adam does. Now again, this is, this is our fallen nature. So every man in here does this. Every woman in here does this. Is, this is our nature. This is what we do. Look at verse 12. I'm in Genesis 3.12. So they sinned, and who does God call? Adam or Eve? He calls Adam. He says, Adam, which is the word for man, okay, which in the New Testament is the word anthropos, mankind. So he says to Adam, Adam, where are you? Well, that same question is asked today to every one of us. Where are you? Spiritually, biblically, theologically. 
You know, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I say. That's what he says. Verse 12 says, and the man said, look what the man does. This is, we, I do this today. I love to play the blame game, right? And who, who am I going to blame? The first person, the person I'm most intimate with, who am I going to blame? You can tell me, who am I going to blame? Diane. Has she been talking? To okay. So the man said, the woman. It's this, and so when I'm living in sin and I'm not doing right, whatever, I'll somehow try to cast this what human nature does, the sin nature does. The woman whom you gave to be with me, it's your fault, God. She gave me fruit of the tree and I ate it. So ultimately, God, Lord, it's your fault. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent. Remember it says she saw that it was, it, she saw the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. She says, the serpent, the woman said, the serpent deceived me. The woman said, uh, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts, of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And here's a pr profound verse. Um, I, use, I use this in a lot of ways in my world, digital world. Um, Genesis 3.15 I, that's God speaking, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Now he's talking to the serpent. So there's this, this animosity, this division, this war between the devil and mankind or, or the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. Now there's a bigger picture at war. At, at, you know, there's a, there is a truth that, so the devil's the enemy of mankind. We know that. He's the prince of the air, the god of this world. We know all that. But there's a bigger picture. Her offspring is ultimately going to be who? Jesus, right? So, oh, and because that's what God says. He says to the woman, He said, oh, I'm sorry, I'll, verse 15, I'll put in between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head, which is crushing it, end it, and you will bruise his heel. So the devil will will hurt her offspring, but her offspring, Jesus, is going to crush the head of Satan. He did it when He saved me. I, I was in the grips of sin. I was a child of the devil. And Christ crushed the head of Satan, bought me out of the slave market of sin, and He did the same thing for you if you've been saved. To the woman He said, I will surely multiply your pains in childbearing. So notice the judgment. The man, same thing. The man was, it's going to be tough to make a living. That's exactly what he told him. By the sweat of your brow, thorns and thistles, it's going to be, life's going to be tough to make a living. But to the woman, where does he focus? On, on child rearing. I will surely multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire will be contrary to your husband but He shall rule over you. So there'll be this power struggle that lives in every household. 
You know, who, sometimes that leads to manipulation. Sometimes that leads for husbands to abdicate, to bail out as a leader and just live their own life and not give a flip what goes on at the house. But it all begins, it all begins in, in creation in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. Now you're back to 1 Timothy chapter, chapter 2. Look at, uh, let me take you just a couple of verses. Go, go, go over to chapter, I'm in 1 Timothy still. Go over here to chapter 5. Let me, let me show you what Paul says over here to Timothy about, about women. And uh, now this isn't, this, it's about how to handle widows, but he's dealing with home life. And I mean, you have the roles of women, you have the roles of men, and how they ought to be handled. So here's what he's going to say. We, in the New Testament, scholars call this the household codes. There's some in Titus, and there's some in 1 Timothy. There's a couple in 2 Timothy. Household codes, where it describes you know, family members and how you ought to handle them. Uh, look, hey, look at chapter 5. Look at the first verse. Chapter 5, verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men you treat as brothers. Older women you treat as mothers. Younger women you treat as sisters in all purity. Folks, that's the family. That's the family of God. That's household codes. So no 30-year-old man ought to be rebuking a 60-year-old man. You encourage him. You treat him like you would your dad. You have older women are to be discipling younger women. That's according to Titus 2. And, you, and so it's the, it's the family, just like you would your natural family. This is your spiritual family. And there's spiritual family codes that we go by. Uh, I'm at verse 9 now. So he says, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. So what was happening is, a widow in Bible days was absolutely helpless. Uh, could not get in the workforce, no income, so the family of faith would help minister to widows. But then the church that ministered financially and took care of widows, those widows made a commitment to serve Christ and the church. They literally became the bride of Christ, so to speak, and they, their life was, was circled, was central around the church. So he says, let a widow be enrolled if she has less, if she lives, if she, not if she's less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows. By the way, they, they had records. You know, today, we Kevin, we're talking about records, keeping up with records and classes and members and prospects and etc., etc. They had records in the New Testament, okay? So, so he says, and, but refuse to enroll younger widows for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry. And he's not saying marrying is the best. He tells us that in, in 1 Corinthians. It, that's the ultimate for the woman. But what's happened is, what he's saying is, so she's a widow. Let's say she's 40 and she wants to be, commit herself to the church and the church be obligated to her, which is fine. But Paul says at that age, when she makes this commitment to the church, guess what's going to happen? 
She's going to have a desire to get married, and then it's going to make that commitment that she... You know what I'm saying? It's not that marriage is wrong. It's just saying that her commitment to the church, to be married to the church, so to speak, and the church honor that by taking care of her, it's going to be hard to keep that when she wants to marry. That's, that's all he's talking about. So he says, refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away, draw them away in the sense that that commitment, you see what I'm saying, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. So, so it just won't look good. But then he mentions these other things. Look, it's talking about widows. They don't have a man at home, right, to lead them. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, and manage their households to give the adversary no occasion to slander. Now he says, this is what he's heard, okay? Paul's over there in Europe and there in Asia and Ephesus. And he says, for some have already strayed after Satan. And if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. And then he goes into taking care of elders, that the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the Word. For the Scripture says you shall not... And remember what these widows were doing, just like they were committed to the church. For the Scripture says you shall not muzzle knocks when it treads out the grain. The labor deserves his ways. And then it says do not admit a charge against an elder. Except, this just household calls. Um, for those who present, rebuke him, talk about me and, and others like me. Uh, but again, it's just, he gives these household codes. What, we got a minute. Go, go to, uh, I'm sorry about that, I went over. Go to 2 Timothy real quick. I just want you to see the importance. Of, go to 2 Timothy, uh, look at 2 Timothy chapter, uh, go to 2 Timothy chapter 3 real quick. And we'll finish with this. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to begin at verse, uh, verse 1. Just 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. And I'll finish with this passage. Um, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And we believe we're living in the last days. Well, I really believe that. By the way, the conference that I'm going to is a prophecy conference about the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. He's talking about people at the church are doing all this. For among them are those who creep into households 
and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as James and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men are, that's deceiving people are opposed to the truth, men corrupt in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. Then he says they will not go very far, for folly will be plain to all, as was those of those two men. So here Paul's saying that I know for a fact that these false teachers are corrupting weak women in homes. Now let me tell you something about that. If, if false teachers were corrupting women, he doesn't say widows, are corrupting women in their homes, whose fault is that? The husbands, okay? But they are being corrupted. So what I want you to see is the, script, the Scriptures speak here in 1 Timothy chapter 2 to the sacredness, the sacredness of, uh, of the home. I lied to you. I just bold. Go back, go back to chapter 1 of 1 Timothy. Verse 6. Folks, God's Word is so important and if you want to know more about male, male leadership and female, the roles, I mean, there's tons of scriptures that I could cross-reference. But Paul's speaking to the issues of the day. But if you just allow me a moment, I'm going to go a little over. Um, look at chapter 1. I'm, I'm in 1 Timothy 1. Look at verse 6. Um, oh gosh, there's so many things we could talk about. You, you know, don't, don't listen to false doctrine and all that. But look, he says... Uh, verse 5 says, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and, good con- and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That, by the way, that's another key word. Godliness, faith, and truth are used several times in 1 Timothy. It's about those. But then he says, Certain persons. These are going to be guys, okay? Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion. Swerving. Swerving. Let's, let me finish with that. Swerving. Uh, you know the word for sin. Like there's one main word for sin. Uh, you know, there's disobedience. Uh, but when we use most of the time the word sin in the Bible, when you see the word sin, especially in the New Testament, it comes from this New Testament word, hey Martea, you don't care what the word is, but the word means literally, it means to miss the mark. It was it, like using a bow and arrow. Hey Martea was shooting an arrow and not hitting the bullseye. So the word sin means to miss the mark. This word swerving means not hitting the mark. Not hitting the mark. It's talking more about just the bulls. He said they've swerved from shooting. You're not even shooting at the bull. You've missed the bullseye. Swerving. And, and, and I don't know if you've noticed this or you know anything about this. Think about hunters. And I don't know much about guns. I have a pistol, you know, whatever. I don't have much. But I know when y'all, y'all sight the gun in, scope, 
you know, you, you can use a you do you, know, you can use a range finder, and then you, you use the dot, the red dot, and all that. There's even a tool that m- measures the 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 barrel, right? The, how the barrel sends the bullet out. Am I right? I forgot what the word is. Just act like I'm right. Thank you. You do all those things because you want to hit the bullseye. And you know that if, if you're shooting 100 yards, but if you're off by a quarter of an inch at 50 yards, are you going to be off a quarter of an inch at 100 yards? No. You could be off two feet in 100. So the more you go, if you're not hitting the bullseye, the further off you are. Now, listen to me. That's where you and I are. Especially when it comes to biblical living in the home. We're not even shooting at the target because we don't even know what the Scriptures say. And it may not look that bad from here to the church or from your, church, from your house to your... Just short distance, it doesn't look that bad. But from here to eternity, when you meet Jesus, are you going to be so far off the mark that you've swerved away? And not only have you led your family astray, but you've been a bad witness because you swerved from the truth. Folks, we, even in family life, seriously, whether you obey your parents or your parents, you, we cannot afford to swerve from the truth. Amen? It's God. He made it to begin with. He has, the, he has the commands. He has the answers. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for your grace and mercy. Lord, bless the work of the church. Bless the word to our hearts and minds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all so much. See you tonight for study at 5. Ten Commandments. You spent last session tonight at five.